Okay. Good morning, everyone. Uh, CS mentioned earlier about a, a prize that we will be giving away to the best speaker. Uh, the, the link for the SurveyMonkey survey is up on the screen at the moment. We'll put this up during each of the uh, copy breaks. So take down the link, complete the survey, and then based on the results, the best presenters will be winning a prize later. Uh, next up, we have Dan Vieira. Dan is currently in his first year of work at Alexander Forbes in the insurance consulting team. He completed his honors last year at WITS, and his presentation is based on his honors research paper from last year. Good morning, everybody. Um, as Carla mentioned, I'm Dan, um, and the title of my presentation is um, Investigating the Correlation Assumptions Underlying SAM. Okay, so uh, just before I get into the details of the presentation, I think I just want to give you a bit of a, a background as to where this presentation comes from and why I kind of sort of investigated these things. So what, what, what it essentially is, it's an update of my 2015 honors research project. Um, just a little bit of refinements here and there for some assumptions that I'd made last year in my research project. Um, but kind of the overall intention is to try and produce a paper uh, towards the end of the year and hopefully maybe get it published in perhaps like the South African Actu Actuarial Journal um, or something similar. It is also uh, super, uh, uh, was supervised by Max uh, Popescu. He's a lecturer at WITS. Um, he, should be, he should have been here today, but unfortunately he couldn't make uh, the seminar. And um, he's now also the co-author for the paper. So um, yeah, ideally we'll be working on it. We, we are working on it together. Um, so essentially what it is, it's kind of just an investigation into the underlying assumptions in the SCR calculations that come through in SAM. So it's, it's, not, it's nothing too groundbreaking. It's not really um, presenting an overall kind of new model or something that can be used in, uh, as, opposed to the as opposed to the regulation, sorry. Um, but rather, it's just kind of an investigation to leave everyone with some food for thought as to the kind of um, investigations that can be done uh, when you consider the different assumptions that are presented within SAM. And the kinds of assumptions that are actually investigate relate to the correlation assumptions that are given. So there's all these uh, huge correlation matrices that are given in the SCR calculations, as well as some of the statistical distribution assumptions that are present throughout the uh, regulation. And also the entire investigation is based off of a simulation study. So it's um, not really based on any uh, physical data or any kind of actual information that's out there based on insurance companies, but um, I use what's in the regulation and then use some statistical methods such as Monte Carlo simulations and things to produce results and just uh, see the kinds of um, effects that happen, uh, the kinds of, the kinds of things that happen to the ca capital calculations when you change the assumptions within SAM. So why is this relevant? as well because the regulation is actually just kind of based on your so-called average company, the average business. Um, it's not necessarily, um, it, it doesn't necessarily imply that it's relevant for every single insurance company as different insurance companies have different kinds of risk exposures. So changing and looking at the appropriateness of the assumptions that underlie SAM is quite relevant uh, for, an, for, for um, an insurance company. As well, there is room in SAM for justified changes in assumptions. So these could just be in the form of partial internal models or full-on internal models or just changing an assumption here and there so long as there's a sound justification based off of the actual um, experience that an insurance company um, 
faces and their the, the exposures and the experiences that they come across. And also what, what it kind of sort of does, it encourages actively modeling the risks which are inherent in business. So this assists, assists with calculating and justifying appropriate economic capital figures. So while we can all appreciate the SCR calculations are the regulatory capital um, amounts they come through, uh, the economic capital is where a lot of focus comes in um, with insurance companies because they, they, there's, a, there's a recognition that often the SCR might be um, not appropriate for, for, for a particular insurance company based on their risk exposures. So this also again translates through to use in, in internal model processes. And obviously it just allows for an overall better understanding of your businesses and may assist with strategic decision making such as reinsurance um, uh, re 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 decisions as well as the decisions whether or not more business can be underwritten and those kinds of things. So initially I'll be starting off just by giving a little brief um, background on the capital requirements under SAM. So this is a very high-level overview of what, what comes through in, in, the, in the actual specifications, in the discussion documents and position papers. Um, ideally, the overarching principle is that an insurer should hold enough capital to ensure financial soundness 99.5% of the time in a given year. And so this is to ensure that it's able to withstand the so-called one in 200 year event that uh, will happen um, that could potentially happen and they will be financially sound and be able to continue um, with operations. So what this means, what this translates to in, um, in a statistical mathematical standpoint, from a statistical standpoint, is that if you have an overall risk distribution um, that where, where this kind of reflects the overall risk position that the insurance company faces with all the losses that could potentially happen, the capital requirement is calibrated at the 99.5th percentile of that distribution, also known as the 99.5th value at risk. So um, that's kind of the overarching principle that comes through. And this comes through with the standard formula that is given in uh, SAM. And the standard formula just kind of looks quite simple. And all it, all it really is is an aggregation formula. So it considers the individual capital requirements that um, should be held based on individual risk exposures. So that could be the risk exposures pertaining to underwriting uh, certain lines of business, uh, market risk exposures such as exposures to equities and properties, things like that, as well as operational risk. And the overall capital requirement um, calculation uh, kind of aggregates all of those individual capital requirements but there is also a correlation factor that forms part of this calculation. And that correlation rho, the linear correlation coefficient, um, allows for diversification benefits to arise between the different risks since they are not all perfectly correlated. So rho does not equal 100% for all risk exposures. Um, another point to mention is that correl these correlations are pre-specified in the regulation uh, without much detail into their calculations or as to how they were um, arrived at. And uh, the idea is that they are based on industry analyses with actuarial judgment applied, um, but essentially SAM also adopts these straight from Solvency II with, um, with, without making much adjustment for, a South for the South African context as well. So these are, the, these are just specified and given straightforward, and the SCR has to be calculated using these correlations. 
but there is an inherent problem that arises by using linear correlation coefficients, and that's just quite simply that linear correlation is just an average measure of the overall dependence between two random variates. So if you just consider just two random variables, two statistical variables, X and Y, they might have a joint kind of distribution that looks like the graph on the left, where um, they have kind of an even, even dependence spread out throughout the entire joint distribution, or they could have um, something that looks a little bit more like the graph on the right, where you can see a lot of um, a, a much more high dependence um, coefficient coming through in the upper tail, where if X is taking on a high value, Y is likely to be taking on a similarly high value, or if X is taking on a, or, 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 and then the opposite effect happening in the lower tail, where if X assumes a low value, then Y kind of just does its own thing. But the, the issue is that correlation coefficients uh, don't capture this um, overall dependence that's, that's being displayed here. So the idea is that both these two graphs have an approximate linear correlation of about 75%. But you, you can see that there's definitely um, different kinds of dependence coming through here. And especially in that upper tail where we, where ideally insurers are concerned with the one in 200 kinds of events, there's some serious um, um, differences in the, in the correlations happening in that tail that isn't captured by the linear correlation coefficient. So ideally, we would need another way to describe dependence more accurately, and this comes through in the form of what is known as copulas. So copulas are um, quite, quite uh, intimidating mathematical functions, um, if, if, if anyone here knows uh, a little bit about them. But um, essentially what they are, in just layman's terms, they are statistical functions that completely describe the joint behavior of random variates. So ideally with a, with a copula, you would be able to describe exactly how two random variables will behave together and arrive at their joint distribution. And what they allow for is obviously nonlinear dependence, uh, which is implied by the linear correlation coefficient. So that graph that was on the right that I just showed you, uh, would, that kind of dependence would be captured perfectly with the copula. And um, also, as I mentioned already, they arrive at a multivariate distribution, a joint distribution, just based on the individual given marginal distributions for every single uh, random variable. In this case, we'd be modeling the different risks that an insurer faces. So I'm just gonna give you a, a, just a brief ex explanation of how copulas work. It's nothing too technical, but um, if you just consider the bivariate case, again, where we have X and Y, then you have X and Y as your two random variates. Each of them have distribution functions, F of X and F of Y. And then you have something which is known as the copula function, which is given by C, C of U1 and U2. Now U1 and U2 are just any two numbers that, are, that lie between zero and one. So ideally, what, what, they, what they refer to in the sense of copula is probabilities. Probabilities are actually read into copulas as their inputs. And, and then you also have the joint distribution of X and Y, which is just given by F of XY. So what the idea behind copulas is, is that uh, any joint distribution, f of x, y, can actually be, can be given by a copula with the marginal distributions read into the copula function as parameters. So this is the, this is the overall joint distribution of x, y, as given by the copula function. So I'm just gonna present two examples here of uh, copulas, and um, they, 
just to show you why they can be con con considered in a little bit intimidating um, mathematically, but um, their actual functional forms are not too important for the overall study. So this is what is known as the Gaussian bivariate copula. This relates to the Gaussian distribution or the normal distribution that uh, we're all familiar with. And um, this is the bivariate case, again, for X and Y. So you can see it kind of sort of resembles the functional form of the distribution function for a normal distribution, just the univariate one. Um, but it captures, the, it captures the dependence with its own parameter, which is rho, ironically, also the correlation coefficient between the two. So that's the only parameter that you would need to read into this copula, as well as the marginal distributions, which don't have to be normal. They can be any statistical distributions um, that you read into this copula to produce a joint distribution. And then the, he has an example of another one, which is known as the Gumbel uh, copula. This is, again, the bivariate case. It's a little less mathematically intimidating, but um, it has its own parameter alpha, uh, which has to be parameterized in order to use the copula. And what's really interesting about these two is that um, the Gaussian copula doesn't really have anything particular about dependence in the tails, whereas the Gumbel copula actually has um, upper tail dependence. So you would notice the difference in the uh, dependence for the lower values of X and Y versus the uh, higher values of X and Y. So how, how do copulas and SAM kind of tie together? So um, the way that, they, that, that I sort of bring, bring them together within my investigation is uh, copulas can be used to describe the nonlinear dependence between risks. So this means that obviously the true risk position can be more accurately modeled for an insurance company on an overall level. So this impacts the diversification benefits because if a particular copula assumes that um, risks are not necessarily as dependent um, on each other, then your overall capital figure ideally would be a little bit more optimistic and you would expect extreme events to occur less frequently together. So you would, you would have a lower capital requirement coming out and obviously vice versa for a more uh, prudent copula that assumes extreme events are more likely to occur together uh, more frequently. And th another point is just that once you have an understanding of your true risk position, you can obviously um, allocate capital throughout the business more, ac more accurately and achieve better returns on capital, which is also quite an important um, capital-driven point. Okay, so what I actually did for my um, investigation, I just focused on one aspect of the regulation, which was the non-life premium and reserve sub-module of the SCR calculation. That's why this is relevant here at the stick, although because of the, the nature of the regulation and the nature of the standard formula, this actually does apply to most areas, well, to potentially all areas throughout the regulation, um, these kinds of investigations. So the way that uh, the non-life capital requirements is defined under SAM is that you have your overall capital requirement, which is made up of the aggregate of the individual capital requirements for each line of business. So that's your motor personals, your property personals, etc. And within each of those lines of business, you hold capital for premium risk and for reserve risk, which they, those two are also aggregated together using the standard formula, well, an altercation of the standard formula. Uh, premium risk is just essentially the risk that you know, premiums are not as expected in terms of timing, amounts, etc. And reserve risk as well, that reserves are just not sufficient to be meeting um, the, the liabilities of the insurance company. So 
what I first, what I initially did, I just considered motor personal as that line of business, and I calculated the capital requirement figures that were coming out using the standard formula. So, um, what I did is within motor personal, I looked at the premium and reserve risks, and then aggregated between those. And these are the assumptions that are present in the regulation pertaining to motor personal, is that uh, the risks are log normally distributed. Uh, the standard DV, oh, so, so also I mentioned that all capital requirements are calibrated at the 99.5th percentile, but within the regulation for non-life business, the, the parameters that are read in are the standard deviations for each distribution, which are then scaled up to, which are then calibrated up towards the actual capital requirements at the 99.5th level. So the standard deviation for premium risk that is given is 5.6%, and for reserve risk it's 5.5%. And this is the quite important point, is that the correlation between premium and reserve is 50%, as just given in the regulation. And again, like I mentioned, capital is calibrated at the 99.5th percentile. And then you also have to account for some volume measures. So just to make this a little bit more realistic, I didn't want to just assume an equal split between premium and reserve. So um, my co-author and I managed to source just some of the data from the 2013 returns uh, on technical provisions and premiums. And we just based the entire thing on the split of that, uh, that, the, those two volumes. Um, so everything is done proportionally and assuming that you have one unit written, underwritten in motor personal. Um, so, given all of those assumptions, the standard formula says that there's an overall standard deviation for this line of business of 4.97%, so that's accounting for that uh, correlation, and then scaling that up, you have an overall capital requirement relative to the mean of 13.5%. So now, this is now where my investigation actually kicks off, is that that 50% assumption uh, between the two risks um, I changed that around by looking at different kinds of dependence measures between the two risks. So the way that I do this is by assuming different copulas, and I'll actually just take you through a step methodology of what I did. So I parameterized, so I kept, I kept the idea of log normality consistent, uh, just based on the regulation, and I parameterized these distributions based off of those standard deviations. Then I parameterized copulas based on that correlation assumption. So for the, I actually investigated those two copulas that I showed you the functional forms for earlier, the Gaussian and the Gumbel. And for the Gaussian copula, where you actually have to have a correlation coefficient as a parameter, I used the 50%, and then I, um, and then also I parameterized the Gumbel copula using uh, software, parameterization software. And then, uh, I used the log normal marginals in conjunction with the copulas to produce bivariate distributions. So I arrived at a joint distribution for premium and reserve. And then I simulated from this joint distribution and then aggregated everything together to arrive at a single risk um, position, one, one whole uh, distribution that should completely des des describe the risk for motor personal. And then from this distribution, I calculated the standard deviation and hence the 99.5th value at risk for, uh, for this distribution. So these are the, these are the results that I came across. So you can see under the Gaussian copula, we kind of have that, um, un that, that linear uniform dependence happening throughout the entire distribution um, with, with nothing too extreme happening at either tail uh, of, of, the t of the joint distribution. Whereas in the Gumbel copula, 
as I mentioned, since this is a copula calibrated or parameterized to have upper tail dependence, you can see that um, there's definitely a clustering of values in the upper tail. What this translates to numerically is um, this table here where we, for the regulatory um, capital, the standard deviation came to about 4.97%, as I showed you earlier. Under the Gaussian copula, it now arrives at about 4.92%, um, which is a reduction of 1%. And under the Gumbel copula, it's at 4.92% as well, which is also approximately 1% uh, reduction. But that doesn't mean much in terms of the actual capital requirements, since everything is calibrated at the 99.5th. So you can see that the difference from the 99.5th and the mean under the Gaussian copula is about 13.52%, which is pretty much in line with what was coming through in the regulation. And that actually gave me a little bit, comf a bit of confidence in my investigation because um, I, exp I was hoping that assuming a Gaussian copula wouldn't be any different from just assuming a linear correlation since the dependence there isn't uh, the, the, the dependence is uh, uniform throughout the entire joint distribution there. So the fact that this actually replicated what was coming out of the regulation um, made me pretty happy. And then the Gumbel copula, uh, we had a bit of an increase in the capital requirements or that difference there um, of about 5.2%. So this actually doesn't really mean much since all the figures are just based off of simulations. But um, essentially what I want to illustrate here is that there's definitely um, a lot of sensitivity uh, that comes through when you change the assumptions um, and what, what actually happens uh, where, where you assume a particular copula as opposed to a correlation, that your capital actually jumps up about 5.2% based on this. So um, another thing is just that this, this, this isn't... Um, this isn't necessarily saying that you know a gumbel copula is the accurate or, or, or this, this is the way to model ca capital from now on or something like that. It's just kind of an investigation and saying uh, this is this is what happens if you had to assume assume this gumbel copula, and this ideally an increase wouldn't make most insurers very happy because you, you, we, we would hopefully be wanting a little bit more um, diversification benefit to pull through and hopefully a reduction in capital. But what this does illustrate is that if, if an insurer can justify the use of a copula as opposed to a correlation coefficient or the use of assumption A over assumption B that's coming through the regulation um, and they are able to actually calculate their capital like that, and then they notice something like this, an increase in capital, then they should realize that ideally there might be um, an understating of capital that's coming through in the regulation, and that they are not in a true, truly solvent position just by holding the regulatory capital. So that, hopefully, uh, there's an appreciation for that um, kind of um, result that's coming through uh, that, you know, under your economic capital side of things, you actually might be understating your risk position and you should be holding this, this amount of capital or something like that. But then, uh, as some further methodology, I didn't just want to stop there and look at only the copulas and what changing correlation assumptions could do. I also investigated changing the actual distributional assumption, so changing that log normal uh, distribution assumption that, that was mentioned earlier. And the way that I actually went about doing this, I'll just give you a bit more of a stepped methodology. 
Um, so essentially what I did, I parameterized new risk distributions based on the standard deviations that were given from the log normal distributions. So I wanted to keep everything consistent so that, um, these, so that any differences that were coming through are based on the inherent properties of the distributions as opposed to um, my own parameterization techniques or something like that. So, and also another point is just that in reality, there might not actually be enough data to accurately parameterize by calibrating at the 99.5th percentile. At the very least, you'd need 200 points if you're trying to model the 1 in 200 event. And oftentimes, that, uh, depending on what you are modeling, that there just might be a limit to the amount of data available. So parameterizing at the standard deviation level made a little bit of sense um, for our investigation. And then what I did from this, from these, from these distributions, I uh, simulated independent sample, an independent pairwise sample. So the, those are the completely independent. And then I correlated the sample using the regulatory correlation of 50%. So that ideally the amounts, um, the correlation figures that were coming through would be around the regulation and that any changes further to that assumption, the changing the correlation to a copula, for example, would be from the inherent properties, again, of the copula. And then what I did, I parameterized the copulas using um, techniques such as MLE, um, maximum likelihood estimation techniques, and, and also just, again, because since I used the Gaussian copula, I needed to specify the actual linear correlation as a parameter, so then I used that 50% um, for this parameterization process. And then from there, I, pro I proceeded to find the aggregate distribution uh, from, the from, the, from the copula, from the joint distribution that, that came out. And from this aggregate, dis uh, well, by the way I did that, I actually just simulated from the copula, from the joint distribution again, and then I aggregated together and found the standard deviation in 99.5. So these were the results that came out of that. So this. This is the first image that I've already shown um, based on the log normal distributions for the Gaussian and the Gumbel. Then I changed things around and I used a normal distribution, which technically isn't the most appropriate distribution given an insurance context because of also the, the negative values that can come through. But um, it, is, it is a common assumption often uh, just when in modeling. So I decided to investigate this as well and just see what happened. Again, we can see that the only real uh, properties that, that we can notice with the difference between these two graphs is just that there's an effect of the upper tail dependence coming through for the Gumbel copula. And you'll see that this is actually consistent throughout all of them. Uh, the next one I decided to look at was an exponential distribution, which also um, has like a decaying tail. So it, I thought it might be relevant to just look at that. And it's also functionally easy to um, work with. Um, again, you can see a clustering coming out of the Gumbel copula. And then another distribution was just the gamma distribution that I used as well. And again, the same kind of effects are coming through. So numerically, that translates to, okay, this is the first table that I showed you with the log normal distributions. And under the normal distributions, we can see already there's um, the standard deviation under the Gaussian copula um, actually stayed around the same. It was about 0.1% increase, so there's hardly any uh, real uh, difference there. And under the Gumbel copula, it actually decreased um, a little bit to by 1.2%, by but that doesn't mean much. So at the 99.5th level, we notice that there's a, actually quite a significant decrease in the capital under the Gaussian copula um, of about 6.4%. And um, so there you can already see the kind of sensitivity that's coming through just by changing that assumption. Um, 
technically I don't think that this would ever be an, an appropriate assumption or a ju justifiable assumption, but the idea is that you should be able to kind of come up with different distributions based on the data that, 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 that's available and pr uh, data and distribution parameterization techniques um, should pull through and if, if, if a normal copula could fit and the actuaries working on this kind of investigation felt confident or comfortable using a normal copula, there, uh, there is already um, some, oh, sorry, not normal copula, but normal distributions. There's already some room there to see that there could be a potential decrease in the capital requirement. Um, the Gumbel copula, however, showed an increase in the capital requirement, and that kind of sort of was expected because of the upper tail dependence that comes through. The exponential distributions <laughs> went a little bit haywire, and the upper and the, the, the percentiles that came through, um, you can see that under the Gaussian copula, we actually had a, a huge increase in capital requirement of about 52%. So the exponential distribution technically isn't uh, likely to be accurate, very accurate either, but I, I attributed this to extreme values pulling through and distorting the results. So this would be um, an indication that a lot of judgment is applied and even if, you, even if an insurance company were to kind of investigate um, these changing assumptions and they found that a particular distribution fits their data accurately, leaving it there isn't just good enough. You'd have to actually go in and kind of uh, really look at kind of an actual versus expected scenario and see if the, ki the kinds of figures that are coming out are reasonable and applicable to what's actually happening in reality. So in my, in my head, this is an indication of, uh, of a potential investigation where something has gone wrong and the capital requirement just jumped up way too significantly. Under the Gumbel copula, you can see, of course, there's an even bigger increase because of that upper tail dependence. And then the gamma distributions, again, also gave some pretty interesting results, not as extreme as the exponential distributions, but nonetheless increases in the capital requirements that um, were presented. So, um, just before I actually touch on the issues that I still have to address relating to this entire investigation, I just also again want to drive home the idea that this, these kinds of investigations are appropriate for economic capital kinds of situations where um, we, we obviously have to calculate the regulatory capital, but we can't just leave it there and assume that we are in a solvent position. And this, these are the kinds of investigations that could be done to assist with the economic capital um, process and the internal modeling process of the true risk position of an insurer. But um, some of the issues that came up, um, in particular for this presentation that I was trying to get done before this presentation to show the results, uh, certain copulas uh, didn't work out too well with the modeling. There's one known as the multivariate T copula, which is based around the student's T distribution. Um, and I, there's an extra parameter that is required for that, for that copula that I couldn't really justify um, using uh, or coming up with a particular value for that copula, uh, rather parameter for the copula. And I actually just chose not to display the results because they were just too drastically uh, different from everything else that was coming out. And so I'd have to obviously look at these kinds of things uh, just to assess the, assess the uh, uh, applicableness of these kinds of certain copulas in these situations or investigations. Another one, another 
uh, factor that uh, also came up with some issues was when I investigated the generalized Pareto distribution, which I thought was a pretty appropriate distribution given an insurance context. There's lots of research to suggest that risks and losses could be um, well fitted with a generalized Pareto distribution. And I, again, also came up with issues in the parameterization uh, stage of the, of, the, of, the, of the investigation. So I decided also, again, not to display those results. But nonetheless, there are still areas of future investigation that my co-author and I have to actually look at uh, in, in, in the preparation to get, hopefully, this paper published. And that would be more suitable copulas, uh, so not only limiting investigation to a handful of copulas or the well-known copulas, but using other copula generation techniques which are actually out there. And also, in, for example, another copula known as the heavy right-tailed copula, which implies a lot more dependence in the upper right tail than the gumbel copula actually does. So that overall would imply higher capital um, calculations, but it's uh, or rather capital requirements. But um, uh, it's, a, it's again another another area uh, to focus on or investigate. Further to that would be more suitable distributions that could be looked at. There's a whole array of distributions statistically that are out there, and um, looking at a lot more distributions in an insurance context would make sense as well um, in the, in the run-up for the publication, hopefully. And a major area would obviously then be to look at a minimizing model error with goodness of fit tests, and actually testing whether or not these are appropriate assumptions to be made, uh, certain copulas, choosing certain copu copulas over others or certain distributions over others, and um, assessing actual versus kind of expected, even within the simulation study. Um, and then lastly, another interesting point that we really want to focus on is modeling the hierarchical effects that come through um, in, within the regulation. So as I, as I showed you before in that cascading diagram, um, there's obviously room to be modeling between lines of business as well, not only within the one motor personal line of business, and testing how sensitive overall the regulation is to change, well, rather the capital calculations are to changes in assumptions um, at that level. So perhaps considering a different class of business, such as property personal or marine or something along those lines, and um, aggregating at that level, and again, changing the assumptions to see the sensitivity. And essentially, uh, that is the end of my presentation. So thank you for your time and your attention. Any questions? Uh, Daniel, thanks very much. That was extremely interesting. I, I've just got a few comments actually from the point of view of the non-life underwriting risk working group. I'm not sure if you, uh, if you were involved with them at all. No, One of the things that I thought would be interesting was you, you made certain assumptions in your simulations about uh, the distrib distributions mm. um, and, and, then, and then again the copulas. And um, the Non-Life Underwriting Risk Group looked at the, each class in isolation, but when setting the correlation assumptions or we're modifying them from solvency two, we just kind of used a a very broad brush approach was it we assumed Gaussian and was it high medium low correlation but the next step in the work which we thought you know it would be a refinement in a couple of years time was to actually work uh, move on to the work that you're doing mm -hmm. and, and and the group actually had the data to do that so kind of 15 years of, of data on loss ratios and um, reserve reserve variation over time so it would be a very interesting exercise to 
to compare what that data says to the assumptions that you make that you've you've made yeah no definitely i think <laughs> that that actually sounds pretty interesting i mean using actual data to see what's coming out and then at the, at the very least being able to justify certain assumptions based on actual data and not just kind of hoping for the best with what's <laughs> coming yeah. out in my simulation yeah, yeah. That, that definitely that sounds quite interesting um yeah so then it would be more of a i think if, if maybe if if the, if the work that the non-life underwriting group does incorporates uh, you kind of work together in a sense um, it would be bringing together of, of what the what the regulations say and, and what the data what the data is actually says, saying. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. But then there's also the technical difficulty of um, if, if you've got a gamble correlation to actually express it in a matrix form, mm. ma it becomes more difficult. Yeah, yeah, because you can't just express that with a with an yeah. individual. Yeah, there'd have yeah. to be an entire modeling process that goes into that basically kind of for each individual capital calculation because that, that dependence cannot just be accurately yeah. captured within that one little coefficient. And then kind of leading from that point, that particular point, I wanted to ask if you've got a view, if there's particular correlations within the, within the non-life underwriting risk um, uh, specifications where the Gaussian um, assumption is particular in, particularly inappropriate. So I, I didn't actually investigate um, uh, on, on, on that level of detail. Like I didn't actually specifically target areas and hope to find um, some, somewhere where there'd be an inappropriate um, assumption or something. But I, I did notice what I ended up doing as well after simulating everything, I calculated empirical co uh, correlations just based off of the results that were coming out, just to kind of assess, you know, so the regulation implied 50%. Now, what is this sort of saying versus what? Um, and the general consensus across everything was just that um, under the Gaussian copula, everything was kind of sort of around 50% as well, just give or take a, a few decimal places, um, which is expected if obviously everything is calibrated using now the Gaussian copula, as you just said. Um, but the Gumbel copula just had slightly higher correlations, which again would be expected um, just based off of the upper tail dependence. But again, that, that cannot accurately model everything about everything about the distributions or everything about the joint behavior of the risks. Um, that would have to be modeled explicitly using like, the, the Gumbel copula itself. Um, so the empirical the empirical correlations implied that there would be slightly higher figures coming out if um, if you have happen to use a Gumbel copula, but. Nowhere could I actually, in my investigation, turn around and say, okay, well now that 50% is wrong, let's rather use 58% or something like that. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, I think the, the next question must come from the far side again. Um, th thanks for the presentation, I found it interesting. Um, and I, I just wanted to check my understanding. When you calculated the 99.5 var less than mean, mm -hmm. was that the mean from that particular distribution? Yes, yeah. Okay. So, so in order, in, because because of the nature of the investigation, I couldn't parameterize every. Uh, well, I couldn't find a particular value for every parameter accurately, just based off of what I had. Um, so I had to make some assumptions here and there. But then, in order to standardize everything across that, I only considered the difference between the particular mean of those distributions and the 99.5, so that everything was at least, at the very least, comparable. Okay, because I was I was I was curious to know how much of the difference between the different distributions and the different copulas was due to the 99.5 percentile being different versus the mean being different. Being and different, right? Might be quite used to, to to look at what the mean was and individually, especially on the reserving risk side. You actually you do have a view of what the mean is because mm -hmm. that's your technical provision. Yeah. So it might be useful to kind of tease us out. Okay. Otherwise, thank you. I enjoyed it. Cool. Thank you. 
think that's about the time. One more. Andre always have to get a slot in. Thanks, Dan. That was quite good. Maybe just from my side, I think I like the I like simplicity in the world, and I think if I look at the standard formula nowadays, I said before, I think it might become difficult to explain it in layman terms for some of the board of directors. So, you know, I, I think I recall at least three areas where we already have some diversification. So it's between life um, or the premium and the reserve risk, classes of business, and then between market, non-life, underwriting risk, um, you know, you try and diversify those across. Yeah. Having said that, if I take my hat off and I put the other one on, I'd love to see if you unpack the, the, the component of the premium risk side into the more traditional capital reserving ways in terms of uh, attritional losses, large losses and cat losses, my gut feel tells me that there should be a different correlation behavior between those different aspects in the different classes of business, which just brings more complexity to the game, mm. but way more accuracy. Yeah, so yeah. I think the suggestions that Lisa made is, I think as an industry, it'd be good to see if we can use some actual data and understand you know, the, the correlations, assumptions we assume is right, because the author says you've got to go check if your underlying risk profiles actually matches the regulatory and make adjustments, I think we all try and avoid the, you know, we'll just assume the standard or the standard correlations in there is appropriate, but it'd be very useful for us to understand some of that, even if we don't bring it back to the board of directors to explain it to them, or we think of a different way how to contextualize it. But I think the work you're doing is something that we all avoid, but I think we can't avoid indefinitely. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, cool. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you. Yeah, I, d I definitely agree though. There, there would definitely be differences a a across those within premium, for example, the attritional large, there's inherent differences there that should accu accurately be modeled or captured at the very least, or, or attempted to. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Thank you.